This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to A Game of Two Halves, a sports podcast by The Straits Times. I'm David Lee and today we will talk about Tiger Woods winning the Masters again and the Singapore Badminton Open in each half. My guest is assistant sports editor Rohit Brishnath. Hi Rohit. Hey, hi David. Nice to be here. So that famous red shirt, that emphatic fist pump, that trademark growl, I got to say I was one of those who thought these were consigned to memory lane or at least YouTube highlights. I didn't think he had the power or stamina to beat the world's best golfers over four rounds anymore. But Tiger Woods, he's only bloody gone on and done it, right? It's astonishing. There's no other word for it. I think that your doubting his ability to win another major doesn't make you the only one. I think most people did. Because he's 43 and I think because his body has taken such a beating and one time he said, you know, he couldn't even stand properly without pain. I couldn't walk, couldn't lie down without pain. and Couldn't even get up from yeah. the ground. But I think this sort of win, what it reminds us is that, you know, we really don't know how much talent an athlete has. I mean, I think that's one of the things we keep learning. We keep thinking, you know, oh, wow, this guy is great, but we don't know the levels of that greatness. And that's why, of course, it's it's a mistake to judge athletes before they finish because they've always got mm-hmm. something little left in them. I mean, Federer, we thought was finished and he had a little left in him. Tigers are much older, of course. and Lindan won at the yeah. Malaysia Open last week. Yeah, so you, you, you have to be careful of this, you know, mm-hmm. of, of writing off people. But of course, we do that because that's just part of, you know, giving an opinion on things. But it was a fantastic moment. I think it was really nice. I think you mentioned it to me in conversation earlier uh, that, you know, it's nice to see him sort of beat a generation that he inspired. I mean, all the young guys are the ones that he inspired to play golf. You know, here he is showing that he can still beat them, still keep his patience. And I thought one of the things about winning the Masters this time, apart from many other things, was his experience counted. And, you know, he played it. He knew it's going to be a long day. Doesn't matter if you make bogeys on the fifth or sixth or whatever he might have done. You got to make sure you're going to finish well. You got you. You know the other guys are going to make errors. You just got to stay the course. And I think that's something that only comes with the experience. And I think the other guys got a little nervous. A lot of them went into the water on the twelfth. Right? He of course did not. And it was a great advertisement of patience, which I often think is in such a hurried world, we forget the value of patience. Right. And the manner, of course, which he won, you said, and the stacked field against who he was up against, you know, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Francesco Molinari, who collapsed, uh, Xander Shuffley. And they were all in a mix. And at some point, even on the back nine, they had a share of the lead. They had the lead outright. But what will be the impact of this victory and, and the way he won it? Obviously, the, the one thing that it does just for fun, I mean, don't think really, is that, of course, it reopens, you know, the whole race for Jack Nicholas's 18 majors. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. I mean, we everybody thought that race was over. And it still may not get there. It's going to be difficult for him to win three more majors. And but Jack Nicholas says he's shaking his boots. Do you buy that? Yeah, no, I mean, Jack, Jack, <laughs> Jack Nicholas, the, the one thing, you know, I really like about Jack Nicholas is that through all the things that Tiger Woods went through, and I'm not just talking about golf issues, but other issues, he was never really negative of him, never, right. le- never really wrapped him on the knuckles or anything like that. He's always been supportive. And he is the one person who I can always remember saying that Tiger will win another major. Mm-hmm. And that's because probably Jack Nicholas understands talent better than any of us and uh, maybe he sees something of himself in Tiger I mean he won a major he won the Masters at 46 right. Tiger's 43 so I mean going to have a huge effect on the game because I think a lot of people all sports need stars yeah. at the top right. you know like Messi and Ronaldo or you know LeBron and so Federer you, Nadal yeah Federer Nadal so I think golf was 
lacking that a little bit. I mean, you had very good players like Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson and whatnot, but not enough for people to wake up at three o'clock in the morning. Not for. enough stardust. Yeah, and I you, think so. The, you feel this is a necessary this, this, fairy tale yeah, for but, golf. Yeah, but the thing is, of course, he's forty-three. So you know, right. how long do you expect him to carry golf? But that doesn't matter. I mean, you know, the conversations are going to restart again. Mm. People are going to watch. I think uh, a few more sponsors might show a little bit of interest. Definitely, the ratings. I'm, I'm really interested to know what the ratings are for this Masters. I mean, I'm sure they're going to be spectacular. Right. I was on on Twitter a while ago, and the video of him uh, sinking the winning putt and and walking down the lane to be welcomed by past winners. Almost five million views. That's crazy. Yeah, I think the thing with him also is that you can make up by tweet. You know, Serena Williams tweeted and said she's inspired by him. Michael Phelps was uh, following him. Gary Lineker tweeted. I think golf is not a sport that everybody in sport watches because they don't always think it's an athletic sport. But he's different. He's special. I think you know he. A lot of people go to watch him, and you know I think with sort of win and the reaction, you see the influence that he has on the wider sporting world, which is quite impressive. Okay, you obviously watched him last night. Which shot? Did you remember most? Okay, I'm going to make a mistake on this. I think it was the 11th. I think. Okay. So on the 11th, he went about. into he went into the trees, yeah. and then there was he, he got a bit of a break. He had a little bit of a shot. There was like a funnel of trees that he had to hit the ball out of. And there was ahead the green. There was water on the left. It was a dangerous shot. He just make a little swerve. Yeah, right? a little bit of swerve, and he had to hit it precisely. And he hit it beautifully. And I mean, you, I think he was the closest uh, on the out of all three of them on the green. And I think one of the beautiful parts of sport is control. Just mm. an ability to hit the shot that you want to sh- mm. hit when all the pressure is on. And you know, pressure does funny things to the body. And then your body does funny things when you try to hit a shot. So an ability to just keep calm enough to hit the shot that you have visualized. I mean, that is always, always impressive. And then there was another putt, I think on the ninth, that he overhit and he was high up on the green and he had this downhill putt, which was swerving. It was a long putt, perfect for a three putt. And then he cozies it to about six inches. I mean, right. and he was actually, as a commentator said, he wasn't trying to cozy it up. He was actually trying to sink it because that's Tiger Woods. Yeah. So that was very impressive. Yeah, for me, it was the eight iron on the 16th, you know, so close to the end. Beautiful. And, you know, to hit it within... Yeah, birdie yeah. distance for the part three approach that that for me at that late stage for me Tiger's back you know yeah that was a, that was a beautiful shot and he kept talking to the ball and that was really yeah. it was sweet in a way you know it was it was a nice moment there was something almost boyish about him yesterday and he's 43 so he's not a boy but it was nice I, I, exactly I was going to talk about this I don't think I have ever seen Tiger celebrate this freely before he looks happy like you mentioned like a boy again he's interacting with with fans high-fiving them. What's changed for this version of Tiger? Yeah, I mean, you know, he went through so many difficult things. I mean, he made errors in his private life. He suffered for them. There's like a public shaming that goes on nowadays. And it's not always easy. And I think he was a very, when he was great, he was also a very remote figure. He was never like Phil. He never interacted with people. You know, he was this intimidating, staring, glaring kind of genius. But I think, you know, Everybody is allowed to remake themselves. And, you know, he, I think he has a much better relationship with golfers. You know, he never used to talk to people during Mm -hmm. rounds. You know, so he has a better relationship with golfers. He has a better relationship with fans. So I think all that sort of stuff has changed. And it's, and it's, it's really nice to see, you know, it's, you know, he has kids. He's a father. He's a human being. He's been through a lot. Uh, A lot of it were errors of his own making. But it's sort of, it's nice to see a guy come out on the other side doing okay. It's just, it's just good. It gives you a good feeling. Gotta push you. Does this, 
this make him more dangerous? Do you think he'll get to 18 or even beyond 18 majors? Oof. I'm going to say 18 is going to be tough, right? Three more majors. But the fact remains that you never know what this sort of thing does, you know. And I like the way he played on Sunday because even though he made a few errors here and there, he was very controlled. And I like that. And I think controlled golf is his, his way. I think he was happy with the way he drove the ball. And I think if he drives the ball like that, if he can keep the ball on the fairways, he's always going to be dangerous. Do you see any difference in, in his style of play? He's no longer the longest hitter. Nah, yeah, you can't do that. But he said in his post-match press conference, he said that he always had good hands. Mm. So I think, you know, whether it's around the greens or with the irons or with the putter or whatever, I think good hands have a great value. And so you're not going to be able to do everything as well as you did when you were young. Obviously not. But you find compensations, you know, you use experience, you use your hands. And, you know, you find different ways to win. And I think he's really good at that. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's a professor of golf. That's what he is. So I'm sure he's going to find different ways to win. And for us, it's going to be really interesting to watch. Now, if you're enjoying this episode of A Game of Two Halves so far, do subscribe to us on Apple's podcast app or on Google Podcasts or even on Spotify. Do like it and give us a rating. Back to our show, we now move on to the second half where we'll talk about the Singapore Badminton Open which took place just last week at the Singapore Indoor Stadium. Crowd favourites and world number ones Kento Momota and Dai Ziying won the men's and women's singles respectively. But there was also drama earlier on when the legendary Lin Dan walked out of his first round match against Victor Axelsen after some contentious line calls. Official reason for the pullout was cramps but Rohit, did you buy it? Uh, you never know with Lindan. I mean, he's a character. I mean, that's why a lot of people go to watch him because he's a character. And I think that... Happens to be good in badminton. Happens well. to be very good in badminton. I mean, I think that... I, in a way, I, you know, I always feel about badminton players that it's a pity that the genius of these players doesn't get recognized in many other parts of the world. Mm. I mean, I think in this part of the world, we know how good they are. But I mean, I think that Lindan is is the equal of Federer. I mean, he's mm. won every single title multiple times, including Olympic gold, Asian Games gold, world Washington. titles, all England. I mean, there's nothing that he hasn't done. But it's a pity. I mean, if you go outside to certain parts of, what I would say, almost the English-speaking world, they don't even know who he is or they don't know who Ty is. And, you know, she is. Mm. I mean, she's just the most spectacular athlete that I've seen you know I really enjoy seeing watching her because exactly. there she is she's wearing these baggy shorts and she's just like hanging around and then suddenly she explodes into this such beautiful badminton playing these shots I think Okuhara said after a final yesterday you know she plays these tricky shots she's very difficult to play because I think she plays to a rhythm that you know is difficult it is unusual and that's what makes her nice to watch you know and she has so much time I think one of the keys to great athletes in any sport even if you don't know that sport you can make out their great because they tend to have a lot of time. I was just about to say, you know, this girl of average height, you know, 1.63 meters, wielding her racket just like a wand, commanding the, the shuttlecock to perform magic that confounds her opponents. Her opponents are, are world beaters and she's yet a, a league of her own. What impressed you most about this girl uh, other than what you've said so far? I think you just, the ability to have multiple options on every shot. And sometimes that can be a danger when you're young. I think Federer had this problem when he was young because he could play so many, on a particular ball, he could play many shots. Then sometimes you're not really sure which one to play. Then over time you learn and you know, that's what shot selection is about hitting the right shot at the right time. So she also has multiple shots to play and plays 
shots sometimes which are a bit risky and sometimes makes errors but it doesn't matter i'm happy that she tries those shots because they're different and so all sports have to have a different vocabulary and one of the nice things about badminton is right now is that there is many different players in men's and women's and they all tend to play slightly different styles and they're different personalities so you know in women's you have marin who wasn't here and you have uh, tai of course and you have saina and you have sinju the japanese players are fantastic you know akane Runners, yeah. and then you have okuhara or whatever yeah. and i love okuhara because she she talks to herself before she gets on court i really find that interesting like she's telling herself what to do then bows to everybody and then plays and what an athlete she is she's, and, and, she's and what about, extraordinary you know players like okuhara and tai their personalities they, they are not this grumpy frustrated figures they they play with a smile how, how much of a joy is it to watch players like that you know instead of the usual scowling yeah, personalities yeah i mean i think you have to have different types some some players are just locked in concentration and don't show you anything but i think you're dead right that's a really nice point that you made that with tai and with okuara you can feel the joy of their game i mean it's there it's apparent you know i mean okuara loves to run i mean she has to run she's quite small and she's such a wonderful athlete i mean she covers the geography of the court beautifully and you know tai also you can feel the pleasure i mean there there seems like a sense of fun in their games which is nice mm. uh, building on that you know back to your first point what do you think it would take for badminton to to make a breakthrough and be a truly global game look i always think that one of the responsibilities of asian athletes is that you've got to sell your sport and what i mean by that is that i and i always point to two people to federer and to michael phelps so uh, let's just take michael phelps first you know michael phelps wanted to be this evangelist of swimming he wanted to make swimming into a big sport not just a every four years olympic sport and so what he did was michael phelps was always available to talk So I, I remember in Beijing, you know, when he won his eight gold medals. After every uh, gold medal, you know, he'd go, he'd do his warm down, he'd come back, he'd talk to the media. After it was all over, he gave a whole series of one-on-one -on -one interviews, including luckily one to me at the Straits Times. And so he was just willing to talk about mm. swimming all the time. Federer does press conferences all the time. in multiple languages in multiple mediums that means radio television print or whatever and i think that's what you've got to do in badminton you've got to go out you've got to have autograph sessions you've got to have kid sessions you've got to go and you know use a translator that's fine and you know talk to people tell them your story i right. think people want to know your story it's not enough to say you say that you play beautifully you want to know where did you come from you know what was your struggle you know how do you get to this place what are the sacrifices that you make how hard do you work you know i think people are intrigued they want to know who you are and i think then they form a bond with you but you have to speak i mean that's a responsibility especially if your sport is a sport that is not getting a lot of air time mm. look footballers don't have to say anything for the rest of their lives <laughs> because it's the world's most you know popular game right. it's fine right you know cricket in india they don't have to say anything because everybody's going to go and watch but most other sports are fighting for air time fighting for inches in print you know and so you you have to sell yourself you know you have to do something to your sport you have to make it more exciting you know for example in badminton you know even though they're trying i feel there are not enough stats available in badminton for people like they are in tennis a lot of it has to do with money you don't have the money because you know you have to you know put different systems in place to be able to get people to give you those stats so then then there are certain ways to make a sport more exciting and so that's uh, what badminton has to do i think players have to take responsibility yeah, to, to to that end are you impressed with axelsen i know you spoke with him uh, a little bit over the past week he's a guy he's from denmark 
speaks English, but Mandarin is his third language and he speaks it fluently. I mean, just knocked me off my feet, man. I was phenomenal. I, I didn't get a chance to talk to him, but after the match, you had mentioned and I was listening to him and he was talking what seemed to be reasonably fluent Mandarin or whatever. And I think a player who makes that effort, that's extraordinary, right? And it's a great way of communicating. And I think he, he also shows his emotions on court. I think he talked to you a little bit about it, right. saying that, you know, we are not machines or exactly. something like that. And I like that, that, you know, he was um, he was aggravated, he was excited, he was smiling, he was scowling. And that's that's not a bad thing. Not every player is going to be like that, obviously. But you need, you need characters, you need personalities. Definitely, no question about it. All right. And on that note, there's the final whistle bringing to a close a game of two halves. Thanks, Rohit. Hey, thanks, David. Nice to be here as usual. If you enjoyed the episode as much as we did, do subscribe to A Game of Two Halves on Apple's podcast app or on Google Podcasts or even on Spotify. Do like it or give us a rating. That was an SPH podcast. Find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts and streaming on Google Home. Do send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at straightstimes.com and bt.sg.